sharing that with us as a choir this morning. Uh, I will just make an announcement. I, I've already been reminded, do not dismiss the children to Children's Church. This is a fifth Sunday, which means that they are with us. It happens about once a quarter, and we are glad to have the children in the service with us in each of our services today. Uh, so it is great to be able to worship with you, to be able to celebrate. I do want to take a moment before I get into my message to say thank you. We had a fundraiser yesterday morning to raise support for the upcoming mission trip to Costa Rica. And it was a breakfast that was fairly well attended, I would say. Uh, but I would suggest to you that we raised a lot more money than what I was anticipating. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, after all of the expenses, we raised a little more than $1,200 yesterday morning, uh, which is fantastic. And I thank you for your support. Uh, when we go, there will be 12 of us that will be there. But in many ways, it will be the entire church because each time you help support that, you're helping make that happen. So thank you for participating in that manner. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord today. Let me pray once more. Father, it is a, a privilege to come before you. I pray that as we dig into your word now, that you would allow the word to speak to our hearts that we might be changed. Help us to hear the word and to know exactly what it means to us. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Any of you ever heard that before? It is the greatest message that has ever been proclaimed. And when applied to our individual lives, it truly has the power to change everything. It not only changes the things we do, but it also changes the why we do the things we do. In fact, let me begin this morning with this question. Why do you do the things that you do? What is it that drives you each day? There are some that get up every morning just to be able to pay their bills. There are some that get up each day and they work just to keep peace within their families. There are some that are giving it everything that they have just to prove somebody else wrong. And still others are striving to accomplish some dream of success. What is it that drives you each day? Let me suggest to you that all of those answers that I just gave, they can be good answers, but they are imperfect answers. They can get you through for a little while, but they are not long-term answers to the question of purpose. For example, when I first surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I had a friend who noticed that some of my behaviors had changed. When he asked why that change had taken place, I shared about my commitment to Christ. His response was, oh, I've been through that too. Don't worry, you'll be back to normal soon. Well, I was determined to prove him wrong. And so that became a part of what drove me in the early days of my faith. But at some point, I realized that just proving him wrong wasn't a good enough reason if I wanted to remain faithful to Christ. And think about this for a minute. If you pay your bills, there will likely be more bills coming due next month. If peace within your family is so fragile that you have to work at it constantly, there will probably come a time where that peace will run out. And if you achieve great success... 
and all of your dreams come true, there will come a time that our earthly dreams will be handed over to another and most often it will die. Matthew 6 gives us a glimpse of one of the greatest sermons that was ever preached. As Jesus preached what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount, in this chapter alone, he addressed many of the issues that would plague humanity. He talked about doing good to others. In other words, acting justly and loving mercy, the same things we talked about last week. He talked about prayer and he talked about fasting. He talked about avoiding worry. I wonder, do any of these messages still need to be preached today? I would imagine that all of them need to be preached today. But today I'm going to focus on one more point from his sermon. It's found in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. Listen to it for a moment from the New King James Version this morning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, before I get into this passage and what this passage is about, let me tell you what this passage is not about. So often we see this passage as merely an address about money. And certainly money is a part of this address, but this passage is about much more than just money. This is about priorities and what's happening within the individual. This is about the fact that many of us are trying to serve two masters. We walk a fine line that allows us to have one foot in one world and another foot in a different world, but there can be only one. That has been the theme of this series. So hear me out for a moment. I'm not sharing this because the church is in financial trouble. The truth is that today is the last Sunday on our current church year. Tomorrow will begin a new year for us. We will finish this year in the black financially. And yes, I do want you to be generous in your financial support for the upcoming year, as your generosity will equip us to accomplish much in the year ahead. But there are two other reasons why I want you to live generously. First, and I'm gonna order them in the order of most important or least importance. First, you will be better off because of your own generosity. Sometimes we think it's all about supporting the church. Actually, there's a lot more to it. You will be better off because of your generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And Psalm 112, verse 5 says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely 
who conduct their affairs with justice. And Acts 20 verse 35 says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me share one more with you from Proverbs 11 verse 24 and 25. It says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The point is that when you are not generous, you are actually cheating yourself. It's not about cheating the Lord or it's not about cheating the church, meeting the needs of the church. In other words, being generous is good for you. But the more important reason for generosity is that our generosity serves as an expression of our appreciation to God for what he has already given to us. To the moth and the rust that can destroy. Last year, with a deteriorating economy and the fragile nature of the stock market, both moth and rust got into my retirement accounts. Add to this the craziness of a housing market that has caused so many people to be, able, to be unable to afford decent housing. And then there's simply the unexpected. Imagine that you've saved up for something, but then you've got to spend it on something else that you did not expect. Maybe a septic tank problem, an expensive auto repair, or some type of medical procedure. It doesn't take long to see how moth and rust can destroy. And the next thing you know, it feels like somebody has broken in and stolen everything you worked so hard to attain. And even, in your, even if your accounts continue to grow, many of us will never truly have enough. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, wise King Solomon is identifying all the meaningless things that humanity tends to pursue. And he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. I asked you at the beginning today, what is it that drives you? Well, when money is your motive, it is never enough. And I ask you again, what is your motive? Remember, we're not just talking about the external here. We're not talking about money. We're talking about the internal. What is it inside you that drives you when you get up in the morning? What's happening in your heart? What do you live for? I know that most of us have already figured out that what we're supposed to say there is that we live to please the Lord. But is that true? Verse 21 says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where you invest your time, your money, your efforts, or whatever else it is that you have, it all reveals a lot about what is truly important to you used to be we used checkbooks for everything. And I remember hearing a pastor say that if you really want to know what's important, you open up your checkbook and see where you're spending your money. Nobody uses checkbooks anymore. Well, very few people do. We do everything online. But the reality is that our bank accounts do reveal an awful lot about what's important to us. And keeping in mind the idea of prosperity in this life being so fragile... I challenge you to consider the fact that one day, all that you have will probably belong to someone else. 
So why not make sure to use what you have today for something that will live well beyond you? In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, Jesus tells a story about a wealthy man. He seemed to continually be blessed to experience more and more prosperity. But this man just kept piling up more and more riches in his own barns, even tearing down his old barns so he could build newer, bigger barns instead of using those blessings for good. Finally, God holds him accountable. Verses 20 and 21 there from Luke chapter 12 says this, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I think God's question in this particular message, parable, is brilliant. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Prosperity is so fragile. I want you to know today, I hope that all of you are prosperous. I hope that the Lord blesses you and that you become some of the most prosperous people ever to have walked the face of the earth. But having prosperity does not make everything good in your life. Prosperity is fragile. I have a friend who pastors another Wesleyan church. Their church does an incredible outreach event every year at Christmas time. But truthfully, money has been an issue for them. Then one day, one of the aging church leaders approached the pastor. He wanted to give to help make sure that that ministry would continue and maybe even expand. That leader has since passed away, yet his generosity is still reaping fruit. This past year alone, that pastor shared with me that more than 3,000 people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ partially because of the generosity of that man, even though he is no longer here, the long-term investment that he made will not be tarnished. It will not be stolen. The moth and rust will not cause it to decay. You know, I, I told you that this is not just about the external. It's not just about what you do with your money, but it's about the internal and what's going on in your heart. Listen again to verses 22 and 23. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I'll be honest with you, that doesn't even sound like we're talking about money. It didn't sound anything about a conversation about money. Some of y'all are looking at that and you're thinking, well, well, my eyes aren't really that good. Does that mean I'm full of darkness? Actually, separate issue here. This is about what is truly taking place inside the body. I'll tell you, my eyes aren't what they used to be. I can't see things the way that I used to see it. Y'all are looking much better, actually. <laughs> actually, y'all were looking great before. The point is that it's not just about what's even on the outside. This passage is all about what's taking place on the inside. But it has an awful lot to do about what takes place on the outside too. No amount of money can change whether your body is filled with darkness or light. I know sometimes we'd like to find out for ourselves. 
We think that if only we had a little more money, then we'd be happy. Then we'd be better people. Then we could be generous. But the truth is that darkness, regardless of how much money you have, is still darkness. That's because prosperity doesn't fix darkness. There are countless examples of people who have demonstrated that to us. Those who are older will likely remember the name John Belushi. He was not known as a Christian. He was one of the original funny men of television. He was one of the first seven cast members on Saturday Night Live. He would also star in a couple of movies. One was a very raunchy movie, yet financially successful. It's called Animal House. He would also have an iconic role in another movie that probably most of you have at least heard of, even among young people, is entitled The Blues Brothers. By all accounts, it would be hard to define Belushi as anything less than incredibly successful. He was financially prosperous. He was famous. He was loved by many. He could have had anything that he wanted, but it wasn't enough for him. At the age of 33, still very young, John Belushi would die from a drug overdose involving a mixture of heroin and cocaine. And my question would be, what was he trying to escape from? You see, these are two drugs that are often used to try to escape from reality. Whatever is taking place in an individual's life, there's this idea that if, if I could get away from this, I would feel better. What was he trying to escape from? His world seems so amazing. I am telling you that prosperity does not fix darkness. In fact, if anything, prosperity can serve to make the darkness even more apparent. But of course, it can also serve to make the light inside us more obvious too. I'm reminded of a story from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 23, reveals one of the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt at the hands of Moses. Each of these plagues were intended in a manner to break Pharaoh into allowing God's people to flee from Egypt. They had been in bondage and slavery for hundreds of years. One of those plagues, the very first plague, was when Moses turned the water into blood. In fact, let me suggest to you that each of the plagues, just like this one, they weren't just intended to break Pharaoh Rather, they were a judgment upon the people of Egypt. It was almost as if they're getting what they deserve. I mentioned the first plague where Moses turns the water into blood. Well, consider the brutality which Egypt had shown toward the Israelites. Consider how much Israelite blood had been shed in Egypt. In a manner, all of these plagues, including the last one, the curse of the firstborn son, they are a reflection of such brutality. Remember, it was the Egyptians who actually had the children of the Israelites thrown into the Nile River. In many ways, this is a judgment upon them. It's a type of them getting what they deserve. Well, in Exodus 10, verse 21 to 23, we see the plague of darkness. Listen to it for a moment. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. 
that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. And there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine a darkness that was so thick that you could feel it? This suggests to me that this was more than just the moon and the stars disappearing. This brought with it a feeling of fear and despair. Add to it the fact that this lasted for three days. Can you imagine what went through the minds of these Egyptians? Will the light ever return? You know, one of their gods, one of their many gods was named Ra. He was the sun god. Has Ra been defeated? Remember, three days straight, the sun does not even come up. Can you imagine the despair that would have developed within their hearts? Maybe this isn't just darkness. What if we've all been blinded and our sight will never return? It was so dark they could not even see their hand in front of their face. What if it's not darkness? What if I have been blinded? The longer that they stayed in darkness, it is likely that the temperature would have been affected. Is it going to get colder? Will our crops even be able to grow? Will we survive? That's a thick darkness that settled in. Although we're talking about one of the most prosperous nations in the world at their time, they were still walking in darkness. Prosperity didn't fix the darkness. It just provided increased opportunity to reveal the darkness that existed within them. In fact, such darkness has been on display long before Moses stretched out his hand in our passage. I would suggest to you that, unfortunately, none of that has changed in our culture today. Darkness is still dark, even in the midst of great prosperity. And I would add that darkness just comes in different forms. I mentioned that each of the plagues were, in a manner, an indictment upon the brokenness which existed in Israel, the darkness that was already present. Well, I ask you, what is your darkness? What is your problem? What is it that causes such darkness in your life? You need to know that the only thing that can change darkness is not prosperity, it is light. And I want you to know that Jesus is the light of the world. I love the way Isaiah states it in Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That is a messianic passage that points to the coming of Jesus, the light of the world. In the midst of great darkness, Jesus comes in to bring hope. And how great is that light? Think about it. In the darkest of moments, even a little bit of light can seem quite significant. We have a little night light that we keep in our bathroom. But when I get up in the morning, well, in the middle of the night, 
I can see where I'm going just because there's a little bit of light. But Jesus doesn't bring a little bit of light, does he? How great is the light that he brings. When he invades our lives, he fills the darkest dungeon with light so that every corner of the room can be exposed. I remember as a college student, one of my roommates had a nice video camera. One night there was a beautiful lightning storm that occurred and it caused us to lose power. And what that means is it was a very dark night. But then the lightning would light up the sky. And when the lightning lit up the sky, it was beautiful. We recorded the storm. And when the power was restored, we watched it back on the television. As we watched it frame by frame, it was amazing to see that when the lightning flashed, it wasn't just the sky that lit up. Everything lit up. He had a freeze frame feature on this camera. And what we would do is we would stop it and it would look like it was in the brightest part of the day with the sun shining and everything was incredibly bright. That's the kind of impact that the light of the world has upon those who are living in darkness. There is no amount of money or prosperity that will ever be able to do that. Jesus, he can take our darkness and turn it into light. I told you this is not about what's on the outside. It does affect what's on the outside, but what I really need you to hear today is no matter what kind of darkness you have in your life, Maybe you're dealing with incredible doubt, incredible brokenness. Maybe you're dealing with greed issues. Maybe you're dealing with some type of sexual immorality. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of bitterness and hatred and anger. Whatever it is, only Jesus can take the darkness and turn it into light. I wonder, how much darkness do you have in your life today? How many of you are in need of the light of the world suddenly flashing into your life and breaking up the darkness? Don't get me wrong. I do still want you to be successful, to be prosperous, but all the prosperity in the world cannot change what's happening in your heart, but Jesus can. There's one last thing I want you to see from this passage. Listen again to verse 24. Again, this is one you've probably heard many times, but no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The term mammon is believed to have been the name of a Syrian or Chaldean false god, which was supposedly all about prosperity and wealth. But even outside of religious circles, that name, Mammon, became synonymous with all kinds of dishonest worldly gain. Before each of us, we are faced with two options. On the one hand, we see a personal God who loves us more than life itself. In Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul said that I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. His contentment is found in the fact that whether he was prosperous or broken, God has been faithful. He declares that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And he makes that statement as one who has tried the Lord. He has tasted and he could see that the Lord had been good to him. What a contrast to the world in which we live today. Today, we perceive that if we are blessed with prosperity, then the Lord must be good. But if we face poverty, then we question whether he is truly good, whether he is truly all-powerful. But what Paul is saying is that he is good regardless of what we face. So again, on the one hand, we see a personal God who loves us more than life itself. But on the other hand, there are those, even in the church, who do not live for Christ, for that God who loves them. We live for prosperity. We live in hopes that we'll be given even more than what we have already received. But I ask you today, who is your master? Are you living for mammon, the search for money to, to get more? Or are you living for the God who loves you more than life itself? I, I know what our answer should be. But again, do our checkbooks actually measure up with that? There are some great biblical examples of those who had to choose who would be their master. I think of a couple of examples as recorded in the book of Daniel. And you'll probably be familiar with both of these stories as they're told in children's church all across the world. First, in Daniel 3, when the king orders that everyone must bow down and worship an image of gold or be thrown into a fiery furnace... There are three Hebrew children named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They must choose who will be their master. They knew that God had been faithful and provided for them all the years of their lives. Even though they had been taken into captivity, they knew that God was faithful. But they must choose. Who will we bow down and worship? For them, the decision had already been made. They had determined long before that they would be faithful to the Lord regardless of what they faced. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, knowing the potential punishment that awaited them, they could be thrown into the fiery furnace. They knew what was ahead. Yet this is how they respond to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, and listen to this, this is incredibly powerful, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They have already determined who will be their master. Now, there's a sense of confidence as they speak. We know that our God is able. 
They even state, he will deliver us. And I don't know how they knew that. If the Lord had already told them, be faithful, I will provide. And that's certainly possible. But they are confident when they speak. But then they kind of hedge that confidence with, but even if he does not, what they are saying is, I don't need his continued blessing for me to be faithful. He has already been good to me. He has already blessed me more than I deserve. And I have made my choice as to whom I will serve. Now, this passage turns into a great story. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego indeed are thrown into the fiery furnace. But as they're thrown into the fiery furnace, the Lord meets them there. And the Lord delivers them. And eventually, Nebuchadnezzar yells into the fire because he sees not three men walking around in the fire, but four men. He says the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. What that means is the Lord actually showed up in the fire with them. And the king calls out to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of the fire. And they do. Unharmed. They don't even smell like smoke. You ever been around somebody who smelled like smoke and after a while you smell like smoke? They don't even smell like they've been near a fire because God did something. But I want you to notice, even if the Lord had not rescued them there, they had made their decision. The same thing would happen later with Daniel, just three chapters later. Nebuchadnezzar had died and a new king is in charge. And King Darius is manipulated into a decree that forbid everyone from worship of any other god except the king himself. And if they should worship any other god, then they would be put to death, thrown into a den of lions. Well, Daniel, in his case, he must choose who will be my master. Would he worship the king or would he worship the one true living god? Y'all know the answer to that question. He ends up being delivered from the lion's den. And actually those who have manipulated the king into issuing this decree, they are killed instead. Here's the thing. Daniel had to make the choice, which one will be my master? You need to know that every one of us must decide who will be our master. We serve a jealous God. And he will not be okay with us choosing joint custody. He doesn't want us part-time. He doesn't want us with one foot in this world and another foot in this world. He doesn't want us just on weekends. There are many of us who have acted like God has joint custody of us. He gets us on Sundays. But Monday through Saturday, we live for mammon. In fact, we live in a culture that tries to compartmentalize our faith. They say that if you want to be a Christian, well, that's up to you, but keep your faith to yourself. It doesn't need to become a part of your life in, in the workplace or in the political realm. And I suggest to you that that is nothing but foolishness. This is not a joint custody where one moment you have God and the next moment you don't have to have God. You must choose for yourselves whom your God will be. Who will you serve? He is either the God of everything in your life or he is the God of nothing because he will not settle for just joint custody. 
You must choose who will be your master. There can be only one. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, well, we do know that there is a financial element to this sermon just because of the text that, that we read. But we know that there's so much more to this than just money. Well, there are so many things that have taken a position of importance and priority in our lives, and they should not be. Father, I pray right now that you would help us, help us to get our priorities back in line. Lord, as we choose today, Lord, my hope is that every person in this room will be able to say that I choose Christ above all else. He will be my master. He will be my Lord. Lord, I pray that it would be evident in every aspect of our lives. Father, we confess that there have been times that we have fallen short of that. And we ask for your forgiveness and grace. Lord, I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who are fully devoted to you. And although we'll be aware of other things that are taking place in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, may we never become so distracted by everything else that we take our eyes off of you. Father, I pray today that you would bless this church, these people. I do pray that you would give them incredible prosperity on the outside. But, Lord, if they are still filled with darkness, it's useless. So I pray today that you would invade the darkness and replace it with light. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. We'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. It is such a blessing to be able to be with you. And, you know, just because I did talk a little bit about money, I'll just mention in closing, as you leave, we did not take up an offering, but there'll be people outside that you can uh, see on your way out, and they have a basket. So thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.